Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Maybe it's various aspects of their relationship with God that stand out to you. Perhaps it's their prayer life. Uh, Perhaps it's the way that they just consistently over the years, through ups and downs, through the many things that faced them, the trials that they endured, uh, the spirit that they maintained during those trials, and the way that they handled it, And how that they bore burdens of life and came through them and had a testimony at the end that the Lord helped them to triumph. Maybe that was the thing that that stands out to you as this person has an incredible relationship with God and it is an encouragement to you. And when you think of somebody, uh, as far as a relationship with the Lord is concerned, that's the person that, that comes to mind. But you, you can rest assured of one thing. If that person has a relationship with God, though we may only see or acknowledge or be inspired by one aspect of it, there's many things that goes into an individual receiving, maintaining, and keeping uh, over the years, consistently having that type of a relationship with the Lord. That's not just something that is happenstance. It's not something that is coincidental, but it is something that they have worked on very diligently. It's something that they have persistent, been persistent in pursuing through the years. And they chose not to stagnate. They chose not to allow that relationship with God, that walk with God, come to, to come to a standstill or reach a certain point and stop growing. But they were intentional about their relationship with God continuing to develop and progress and uh, learning more about the Lord and learning more about His nature. And I know that there's various ways that we do that. And we uh, told you the last time that we taught that I wasn't going to at first deal with all of the signs of, of a relationship with God as far as a outgrowth, uh, the things that we often think of that has to be done to maintain a relationship with God. I, I feel like those things are a given in some ways. Uh, everybody understands that to maintain a relationship with God, there's got to be a prayer life. Uh, to maintain a relationship with the Lord. Worship is a big part of that. Uh, We understand that the Word of God is a big part of that and our relationship with the Word of God and knowing His Word and daily spending time in the Word of God is important. We understand that coming and hearing the Word of God taught and preached is not just something that we do out of routine. It's not just something that happens around here on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it is a vital part of our relationship with God. The Bible tells us that we will be saved 
by the foolishness of preaching. That's the method that he has chosen to save them that believe. And those verses of Scripture was written in the New Testament epistles to the church. These were people that were already saved. We know that it took preaching to get us in the church and to show us how to be saved. But it takes preaching to continue to walk this walk. It takes preaching for us to continue to be what we need to be for, for God and to be challenged in our relationship with the Lord and to receive the spiritual strength that we need. How many knows that in a good apostolic church service when the preaching of the Word of God is going forth, it just gives us the stamina that we're going to need to face whatever it is that is out there throughout the week. And uh, this is where we get our source of strength from, is in the house of God. But when we speak about building, and uh, really I'm, I'm speaking about it in terms of building a relationship with God, we all understand that a relationship of any kind has to start or be initiated somewhere. And in its beginning stages, it, it, uh, it doesn't have the closeness, it doesn't have the intimacy, it doesn't have uh, the, uh, I guess, the bond, if you want to say it that way, that it does after it develops in time. But as that relationship develops in time, there's a bond and there's a closeness and uh, one person, when it comes to human relationships, can almost uh, read the mind of the other person. And they can almost tell by their reactions to certain things. They don't have to say anything. They can tell by their demeanor that that person is pleased or displeased. And uh, they, they just know them. They know something about their nature. Well, in some ways... That's just exactly how it is in your relationship with God. The longer that you walk with Him and are sensitive to the things that God desires of you and you want to please Him, uh, then you, you begin to understand what it is that He delights in, what it is that makes Him happy, what it is that makes Him pleased with you, and you want to do those things. And you got to start somewhere. And we talked about last week uh, or the week before, we talked about how that it begins with a conversion experience where your nature has changed. As I read to you in Romans chapter 8, it talked about two natures. It talked about the nature, the carnal mind, the flesh, uh, which is enmity against God. And then it talked about a spiritual nature. And when you receive this new birth experience, what is the new birth, somebody says? Well, uh, let me just rehearse that for you real quickly. That's repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is the complete new birth experience. What is that likened to? That's likened to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We die to our sinful nature. We die to the sin and the desires of the flesh. And then we are buried with Him in baptism. And in Galatians 3 and 27 it says that if we are baptized into Christ that we put on Christ. And so it's through this process that we get a new nature. 
and uh, we get a, a new way of thinking. We get a new way uh, of viewing things in this world even. Attitudes change. Our nature, our very nature changes. You say, well, that didn't happen for me. Well, you didn't get the full experience then because that's what the book says that this experience of the new birth will do for you just by virtue of saying the new birth. We understand that when a person is born again, uh, that that's starting all over. That's a freshness. That's a new beginning. And for uh, us that are here that have experienced this, we understand how desperately we needed to start over. Many of you, your life was a total wreck. It was a disaster before God came in and changed your nature. You were on a path of self-destruction because the Bible said the conclusion of sin, if sin has its way in your life, it bringeth forth death. That is, that is the final destination of sin. The Bible tells us in the book of James, when a man is in, drawn away of his own lust and enticed, uh, lust bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Paul said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that's the Holy Ghost, the gift of God is eternal life. And this whole chapter in the book of Romans is talking about the Spirit and life that it brings to us and the ability and the power that it gives us to no longer walk in carnality and no longer walk in sin. No longer do you have to be immoral. No longer do you have to be addicted. No longer do you have to be given to the things of this world and, and uh, succumb to all of the sin that is out there. You can walk in this filthy world that we're living in that is growing worse every day and still live righteously and pure and holy and godly and pleasing to the Lord. That is possible only through the power of the Holy Ghost. Many people try to attempt to do uh, good deeds and live for God and serve God and, and be obedient the best that they understand and know how without this experience, without the new birth experience, without being baptized in Jesus' name, without receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Impossible. Impossible. It only leads to further frustration. It only leads to doubts of whether or not uh, in some people's mind, if God is real, because the only God that they've experienced has been limited or reduced down to some formality and some ritual of religion, that if you just come down to the altar and you just quote after me and you say this little sinner's prayer, then everything is all right. And people know better than that. They know there has to be more to it than that because they've tried that and they went right back to their same lifestyle and their old way of thinking, and they continued on doing the things that they had always, always done before. And uh, they, they stack up the, uh, the, the cards of the memberships of the church and the times that they prayed the sinner's prayer and, and signed their name to the church roll, and they stack it all up, and they say, well, that didn't help me much. Well, it's because you didn't get a true experience in God. You get this experience that the Bible talks about in Acts 2.38, and John 3, 5, it's a new birth experience. 
It doesn't matter what you have been, what you have done, where you come from, who your parents were, how many generations of alcoholics is in your upline. I'm just telling you, when you get this new birth experience, it's got a way of changing you and your nature and your desires and your appetites. All of that changes. Amen. When you submit yourself to the Word of God and you repent and say, God, I need you in my life. And, and this is the thing that results is a, is a real relationship with God begins. And so last week, or I keep saying last week, last week, uh, Brother Lorman taught and did a magnificent job. But the week before, uh, we talked about some of the signs. And, and the reason I say this is because if a person is physically, naturally sick, they show symptoms. Isn't that right? And uh, there's certain things that you, you can identify. These are symptoms that, that something is not right. And uh, I need to correct it. I need, I need healing in this area. I need to, I need to take some antibiotics. I need to uh, take some sort of medicine. I, I, I need to take better care of myself or whatever it is. And so these signs show up, and we talked about some of them that identify an unhealthy relationship with God last time. And the first sign that I talked about, and I'm just going to briefly recap these, and then I'm going to move on to some new ones. And that is an apathetic attitude towards worship begins to develop in somebody that is spiritually unhealthy in their relationship with God. And I talked about the fact that when you really have an appreciation for what God has done for you and where he brought you from, and you are, are very, that's why a new convert doesn't have problem worshiping God. It's because it's fresh on their mind. They're, they're so new coming out of the world and new uh, to the presence of God that it's almost overwhelming. It's almost to the point that they... They're in such awe of it, and it's so powerful that they've never experienced anything quite like it. And so that experience is so real that you don't have to, you don't have to prod them along or do too much to encourage them to worship God. But as I have said many times, really we've got the cart leading the horse here. If anybody ought to be a worshiper, it ought to be a saint of God that knows and has been brought through so many things and God has been so good to and has such a long list of things to thank God for. That's the person that ought to be leading in worship. Your worship ought to not die out in time. It, it ought to become even greater and more enthusiastic and more exhilarating over time and you ought to be more excited about serving God now with all that he's done for you amen and it's a sign that I mean it shows up when people start kind of getting lackadaisical and they kind of get uh, they get to they get develop the attitude that worship is not really all that important or you know some people they can mistakenly think that they're more spiritual and they're greater, and they don't have to, uh, you know, I've kind of graduated from all that stuff. I'm, I'm a little deeper than that. I'm a little deeper than that. 
Well, that'd be all right if the book backed that up, but the book doesn't back that up. Amen? Matter of fact, some of the people that we uh, look to as examples in the Word of God and has written much of the Word of God were very enthusiastic in their worship. Matter of fact, when you look in the Old Testament at David, who did not even have the experience that you and I share here tonight in the power of the Holy Ghost, he didn't even have that experience, and he could dance before the Lord with all of his might. He said that he would leap for joy. He would bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. He said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all your lands. All of these verses of Scripture, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. On and on and on we could quote Scriptures that this man wrote and God gave him to record and that are left for you and I to be inspired by. This, this man all through his life developed a stronger urgency and desire to worship God. The times when you see him not worshiping the Lord, there was signs of sin, there were signs of problems, there were signs of him falling away from God. Those were the times that he didn't. But then, thank God, he was able to correct his course and he came back and he writes about the mercies of God and how his mercy endureth forever. And, and, and hey, if God has ever gave you a second chance, you ought to come and worship him and give praise to him and honor him at every opportunity. Come on, anybody ever got a second chance? How about a third, a fourth, a fifth chance? Amen. To serve the Lord. Everybody in this place has reason to praise the name of the Lord. And then it doesn't stop in the New Testament. A man that wrote much of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he said, after the way that they call heresy, so we worship. Amen. They think it's crazy. The world, the world still thinks that apostolic worship is crazy. The world still thinks that we get too excited, which doesn't make much sense because they go to their arenas and they go to their places and they go to a nightclub and make a fool out of themselves. They go to a, a ball stadium and make a fool out of themselves. And we can't get a little bit excited about our God and how good He is in our lives Amen. I think uh, I think that we got we got a, we got a problem there. Amen. We're we're not we're not students of the world anyway. They ought to be following us and taking their cues from us. We're here, Amen, to worship God and give praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Why don't we just take a moment right now and give Him a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. And I just want to take a moment here and say that worship is important not just at the beginning of the service, and it is important then because we're entering into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. But it's also important, and it helps us to receive the word of God as we're worshiping as the word of God is being preached and being receptive to the word of God as it is being preached. It keeps us Uh, attentive to what God is doing in the church service and feeling after the Spirit. And if you believe the Word of God that is being preached in an apostolic setting, it is fitting, it is in order. Matter of fact, uh, it's it's just the way that, that, that it is, that we worship God and we give praise to the Lord and we show affirmation to the Word of God by saying amen and by lifting our voice in praise to the name of the Lord. 
That's how we're showing God that I believe this truth. I believe the Word of God. I, I want to receive that into my heart. I want to receive the strength that I can get from it. And then, I not only talked about that being a sign, I talked about the comparison syndrome and comparing ourselves with one another. And a lot of times, the reason we do that is to compare ourselves with somebody else is because we want to lower maybe a, a standard in our lives and say, well, I'm doing just as good as they are, and so I must be all right. And the Bible said when you compare yourselves with yourselves, you do not well. And so it's very important that we not slip into that attitude of, of trying to compare ourselves with somebody else and saying, well, I, I'm doing as good as they are. They may be having a weak moment or time or season in their life. You need to make the Word of God and the examples of the Word of God your plumb line, as it were, and not compare with somebody else. Receive strength from their example if it's positive, but don't take some negative in, in an individual's life and use that as justification for what you want to do. That's not, that's not how we should live, and that's not the way it should be. Can you say praise the Lord? And then I uh, talked about remind me of the rules mentality. That's somebody who really doesn't have a relationship with God like they should, is that I want to know where the rules are because I want to live as far up against them as I possibly can. That's like saying, I, I want to I wanna ride down the road and I want to, I want to, not have to really steer the car, so I'll just let the guardrails direct me and I'll just keep pushing on the accelerator and I'll go from one side to the other on the guardrails. Well, pretty soon, you know, uh, you're going to run through those guardrails and there may be a disaster and it may be a life and death situation. As I told you last time, anybody that has just basic instincts, they don't need a sign in an edge of a cliff that says, please, don't keep walking, don't go any further. Common sense tells them, hey, there's danger here. Unless you're suicidal, you wouldn't do that. And so uh, for a person uh, to disregard spiritual instincts that God gives us when he gives us the Holy Ghost, you're bringing danger upon yourself when you're always challenging everything and always, always your spirit is resisting. You know, there's some people, you just say a little bit of anything in regards to uh, biblical uh, biblical lifestyle and uh, teaching uh, separation from the world. And, and you just, I mean, you can, I, can, I can read it on a congregation. Man, it's just like the hackles start coming up. And it's... it's uh, you know what? That ought to be a sign to you. Something's wrong with me if this grates on me. Amen. I want to ask the question, why are you here if that grates on you? Just a question. I mean, you know, just you know, we're, we're on the assumption that we live in America and, and you're old enough to go where you want to go to church. And, but if you want to do what's right, we preach what's right here. We preach the Word of God. And if you voluntarily come into here, 
Then sit on these pews. I assume you want somebody to tell you the truth. You don't want a liar in the pulpit. And you don't want somebody to just pet you along. And, and, and this says, come on, just as long as you give money and as long as, you know, when the plate goes by, you're willing, to, uh, you're willing to put something in it, then we won't say anything about that. That's not how I operate. Amen. I've got one that I give an account to. I said I got one that I give an account to, and it don't sit on these pews, but he sits in the heavens. And that's the one that I want to please. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. I can tell by some of your reactions right now you didn't much like that. But it didn't much bother me. Because it's a sign that there's, it's a symptomatic thing. There's something going on with you. If you chafe against preaching of the Word of God, and you're all the time abraced by the preaching of the Word of God. There's something wrong with you. It's not the preacher. It's not the man of God. It's not certainly not the Word of God that he's preaching from. Amen. You know, somebody said, well, I don't like the attitude in which it was preached. Well, first of all, it's not up to you to judge that. And, and God's got a way of handling his business and the structure, the apostolic structure and the apostolic order. God will deal with those situations. And I do understand there's people that have an ugly attitude. I don't feel like that you could justifiably say that's true here. Um, I'm willing to be strong. But I think that I have proven in, in 16 years that I don't, I'm not just a hammer looking for nails around here. And uh, I don't just take delight in correcting people. So I got a long record here. Amen. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think last time I was teaching on this subject, I'm amazed. I, I just laugh when people think, man, he's so hard. I'm thinking, dude, I know where the hard ones are. I sure enough can introduce you some hard ones. And what I can't introduce you to, Brother Blue can introduce you to the rest of them. Amen. Praise God. We have been on the, he and I has been on the anvil so long that the hammers wore out. But you know they couldn't wear us out. Praise God. We're still here. Hallelujah. But I don't want I don't want somebody to have to get up and, and wear me out every week about what the rules are for me to live for God. I want to have the nature that is talked about here in chapter 8 that God can convict me, smoke my heart, and I've had it to happen. And if you've lived for God sincerely, you have to. And you didn't need a preacher tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Shouldn't be doing that. You didn't have to wait until he got around to correcting you on it. You self-corrected. Because you were mature enough to receive that conviction that came from God. And don't mistake conviction as God not loving you. The Bible said he chastens whom he loves. When you correct a child, it's a sign that you love that child and want them to grow up to be a productive 
adult. And you don't want them to behave like that or think that behavior is acceptable and go out and embarrass themselves or be a menace to society. You're correcting them because you want them to develop into civilized adults, right? Amen. Well, that's what God wants for all of us. And so when we feel that conviction, it's not he's, he, he is mad or angry with us and looking to show judgment in our lives. That's not it at all. You misunderstand totally. Even when he sends a preacher that gets up next to us and we wonder, well, I wonder how he knew that. He must have seen that. He must have read that. And he, he must not, you know, it's so, it's so great to not have Facebook because I don't, I don't have to question in my mind, you know, whether or not Facebook told me this or that I got it from God. You can't get mad at me because I don't know anything about it. Amen. If I get up here and preach, then I'm preaching because, uh, you know, I don't want to have to filter it through all of that stuff. And so, therefore, and I'm not preaching against Facebook because I felt some, you know, <laughs> felt I won't hit the hit speed bump. But I think you ought to be mature if you're going to be on there. Don't make an absolute fool out of yourself. And remember that you represent Christ in all things that you do, and you should. Praise the Lord. I think the preacher this last weekend got on that enough that I don't have to touch it for another two or three services. <laughs> remind me of the rules. Remind me of the rules. Get up there and draw the lines every service. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. If you have got that kind of mentality, then you don't love it enough to figure it out and get it on the inside of you. Most people that live under that kind of atmosphere, when they backslide, they don't just backslide a little bit. They're off. They're gone. And, and uh, you know, I don't think there's a little bit of backsliding. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying, when, when people like that, you know, it's like they couldn't live. I've known... Uh, people that lived in, under uh, certain ministries or whatever that was more dictatorial. And, and, and when that person died or went off the scene or God moved him somewhere else, they couldn't live for God because they lost their policeman. Amen. I need my policeman. I've got to have my, my watchman guard there. Not a watchman on the wall that is, you know, telling and preaching the Word of God as the Word of God comes to him from the Spirit of God, but that is just whipping things back in line all the time. And they got it. that's how they've learned how to stay between the ditches. Now, I do believe in corrective, and, and, and I believe it's a responsibility to, to preach and correct and teach and those kinds of things and even personally talk to people if they need talking to. But you know what? I think when you mature and develop into relationship with God, you want to take on his nature. You put on Christ. And you want to please him. And you don't want to grieve him. You want to please him. And then I'm going to press on a little further here. And we, we're probably not going to get done again tonight. But I want to talk about the fourth sign of an unhealthy relationship with God. And I am going to get on the healthy signs. But I, pettiness of spirit, pettiness of spirit. I'm going to tell you what, it costs too much to be petty. The price is too high to be petty. People who are the most susceptible to 
being petty are those who have lost their sense of gratitude and thankfulness in living for God. And it's no longer a joy to them. But all they can concentrate on, all they can think about is the negatives. All they can think about is to criticize. You know, there's some folks, if you had five people come into the church and one person that, I mean, already showed signs of of backsliding and walking away from God, they would focus on the one person and, and never even acknowledge the five that came in. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. And we need to have an attitude of not being petty and picking at little things. And the way we do that is to keep our joy in living for God. Psalms 101 and 2, and I've quoted it already tonight, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And then in Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse 10, it tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It tells us that's where we derive strength. That's where we get strength from is by keeping our joy. How do we... How do we keep that joy alive? We stay renewed in the Spirit of God because the Scripture tells us with joy you draw waters from the well of salvation. Some of us think that the well of salvation, you only take a drink from it one time when you initially come to God and come into the church. No, I think you've got to go back and re be renewed and refreshed in that well over and over and over again because that's where you get that it's joy that you need, and that joy gives you strength to be able to fight the enemy. Amen. I'll tell you what the devil wants to do. He wants, he's a kill joy. He wants to destroy every bit of joy that you have in worshiping God and praying and being in the presence of God and coming to the house of God. He doesn't want you to have a joyous experience when you come to God's house. He wants you to think about uh, the things that are perhaps wrong or are not exactly right. And there's always going to be something that you could focus on instead of focusing on all that God has done for you and the blessings of God that has been extended to you in your relationship with the Lord. Amen. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of the kingdom of God. Romans 14 and 7 said, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. One of the signs that you got the Holy Ghost and are full of the Holy Ghost. First of all, you'll speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. And then you'll manifest some joy. You remember them old timers? They'd say, you know what? Uh, uh, when they get the Holy you could see the countenance change. Amen. I want them to get a, a joyous experience because they understood something there. There's a connection there. You get the real Holy Ghost. There's going to be joy that is going to accompany that experience. There's going to be joy in living for God. There, there's not going to be, there's not going to be uh, an attitude of always being down and, and sad. And I'm sure that all of us understand that, that there is times when we walk through sorrow. And there is times that we, we have uh, we have troubles and we have trials. And you're not always going to be happy in life. I talked about that, your best life now business. One well-known preacher talking about your best life now. 
That's not biblical because is he assuming that heaven's not going to be better than this? Amen. I don't get my best life now. I get a pretty good life living for God, but I don't get my best life. My best life is when I get over there and I hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. There's going to be joy in heaven, and if we got the earnest of our inheritance, there ought to be some joy down here. And there may not always be happy times here. There will be happy times, but you're not always. But happiness comes from the root word hap, which means happenings. And so happiness is often connected to the happenings of our lives. And your happenings are not always rosy. They're not always great. But the joy, joy comes from a totally different source than happiness comes from. Joy comes from our salvation. Joy comes from knowing. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples? He said, they, they were coming back, they were talking about, man, demons were subject to us. We was casting them out left and right. We were seeing the sick heal. Let me tell you what what. What, what happened over here? Let me testify about what took place over here. Let me tell you about the revival we had over in this place. And, and Jesus said, wait, whoa, 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 just a minute. He said, that's awesome. But he said, don't rejoice in that alone. Rejoice because your names is written in heaven. Rejoice because you've got a relationship with God. Rejoice because no matter what happens in this life and in this world, your name is written in heaven. Amen. Because there may be some day that you pray for the sick and they don't immediately recover. You may, you may face a devil that doesn't, you can't cast out. But that doesn't take away from the fact that the devil can't mess with your name that is written in heaven. And you can always rejoice about that. If you've got a relationship with God, you can always come to church and shout. You can always come to church and clap your hands. You can always come to church and lift up your voice to the Lord. You can always come to the house of God and give praise to Him. Why don't you stand with me right now? Let's lift up our voices to Him. Hallelujah. And joy is connected to revival. It's connected to the harvest. It's connected to a move of God. The same book that we get the prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to it. In verse 9 of chapter 1 of Joel, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of of the Lord, the priest and the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted, and the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, and new wine is dried up, and the oil languish, languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree and the palm tree also and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy, here's the reason, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Amen. You want to see revival? You got to keep that joy alive. You got to keep that excitement alive. 
There's no one that's interested in coming and, and being a part of a dead church of folks that are not excited about serving God, that are not thankful about what God has done. There's nobody interested in that. But what they're looking for is somebody that's enthusiastic still, that serving God is wonderful and living for the Lord is wonderful. And I'm happy to be in the presence. There's nothing like the power of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing like the joy of the Lord. And, and it's a strength to me and it helps me. I have to walk through some things in this life. But He's always there with me. And He's always a strength and a help and an encouragement to me. Hallelujah. And that in conclusion in, in, in that story that we call the prodigal son in Luke 15. When that boy comes home and his dad throws this great celebration, not everybody's happy about it. In fact, the elder brother, he, he kind of pitches a fit. And he gets so focused on how wrong this is. Do you know what they've done? I have people try to say that to me every once in a while. Do you know what's going on with them? <laughs> As though I'm oblivious. Amen. And so, do you realize what's going on here? What what all mess that boy was involved in? And you're going to do this? You're going to act like everything's all right? He wasn't acting like everything was all right. He was cleaning him up. He was helping him to get back on his feet. And when he came with repentance, he said, I'll, I'll receive him back. Because he said, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And when he came with that attitude, he said, oh, no, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to help you. But notice what he said. You, this boy was so petty. He said, why are you acting like this? All that I have is yours. It's thine. All that I have is thine. Anytime you wanted to throw a party, you could throw a party. Anytime you wanted to have a feast, you could have a feast. Anytime you wanted to eat of one of my flock or one of my herd, you could have done so. There's no reason for you to look narrowly at him, squint your eyes at him, because you could have been enjoying this all along. What does that tell me? That tells me that he was living beneath his privileges right there in the Father's house, around and in fellowship with the Father, and he wasn't enjoying all that he could. He didn't get it. He, he didn't understand. Hey, there's so much. Why would I be worried about anybody else and what they get when all I need and all I want and all I'm hungry for I can receive right here? I'm going to tell you, God's no respecter person. Don't be looking at somebody else's blessing and saying, Oh, well... My looking narrowly, uh, getting jealous of being envious of no. If God blessed them, you ought to take it as a sign. He can bless me too. All that he has is mine also. And I'm just going to rejoice and keep living for God. I'm going to rejoice with them that rejoice and understand that God is going to bless me also. Amen. Let's lift up our voice to the Lord once again.